Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. She saw what she saw. She bursted into the room. I was on top of him. He threw me off the bed and I hit my head on the wardrobe. Oh, oh my God. Mom took me to hospital. She called the police. He got arrested. Oh and you're um, 10. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And it was never spoken about after that. Yeah. But I had more guilt because my mum blamed me for ruining her marriage. When I've ever talked about abuse, everyone just fi- fixates on the, the doing of it, if you get what I mean. The like, what actually happened? How long did it go on for? Was there actual penetration? All these sort of things. I'm just like, it doesn't really matter. To me, it doesn't matter. The, the, what it leaves over is so much harder to, to live through that um, that's the, the painful stuff for me. You are listening to the Dope Black Moms podcast. I am delighted to have Andrina Leanne with me. She is a lived, experienced speaker, as well as a published poet, writing workshop facilitator, childhood sexual abuse survivor and trustee of the BAWG charity. So that's Action Breaks Silence. Welcome, Andrina Leanne. Hello. Hi. Hi, Nina. Welcome. We've also got Afoma here today. Um, been on the podcast before. Afoma, the life coach for mothers, also a dope black mom of threes. We're going to be talking about some tough subjects today. So just a little trigger warning in case... Um, anyone is going to find this hard to listen to, um, has me triggers around sexual abuse, um, around childhood sexual abuse. Um, so really, yeah, just listen with care. So Andrina, do you want to just tell us a little bit about everything you do and yeah, what you wanted to speak about today? I don't really know where to start really, (laughs) to be honest. I... I was the occupational health business manager at the Whittington NHS Trust um, until December 2019 when I decided to leave my job to go into 2020 to speak my truth about the trauma that I had experienced as a child and really, you know, hope to inspire others to speak about their truth. And then we went into a pandemic. And a lot has happened since then. So I'm I am still speaking my truth, but not in the way that I I imagined it would be. Um, because I found that as I started to speak my truth, I realized that I hadn't had any counseling Ooh. and I needed to speak my truth, but also have therapy at the same time. Totally. Totally. Yeah, it's like it's really weird, isn't it? When you when you kind of like have this goal or this mission and you you don't really think it through like Mm. I didn't think about how emotionally draining it would be to speak about something as complex as childhood sexual abuse I can imagine Um, exhausting especially from like like a lived experience point of view like I don't I don't um 
have any qualifications in the area do you know what I mean like this is my lived experience yeah your qualification is you and your life and your emotions and well it's your journey isn't it so 2019 why then why that moment did you decide to leave your job and decide to speak about your experiences because as well as working for the NHS I started writing poetry uh, seven years ago so I was invited to to write a poem for an international women's day event in March 2018 and the topic for that event was protest and breaking my silence about the abuse was my protest so I wrote a poem and basically performed it in front of like 200 people and was in tears while I was doing it and it was just really really painful it was such a painful thing to do especially as I hadn't spoken about it for 30 years like that was breaking my silence um so after that now after that had happened I felt really exposed I felt like I didn't really know anybody in the room I didn't know Mm. I was just like feeling a bit raw yeah raw I was really raw it was it was quite um intense actually so a couple of weeks after that it was playing on my mind so I thought you know what let me just put it on Facebook my poem so I published it on Facebook and um Lots of people were commenting and saying, you know, that I'm really brave for sharing. And lots of people said that they had experienced that too. Um, and then then a few months after that, I went to, um, I took part in a Channel 4 programme um, exploring gut health, where they sent me to Germany to this Ayurvedic retreat um and that was the only time where I was able to sit in silence I was there for 10 days doing yoga meditation and massages and stuff like that exploring gut health and because it was it was like it was a really weird experience it was a really weird experience because I I was that was the only time I'd actually had 10 days to myself and in those 10 days I felt like that's what I had to do it was in October 2019 that happened and as soon as I got back to to the UK I handed in my notice and yeah the end of December was that was it because I that's so amazing you just handed in your notice and done that's it yeah because I felt like it was the most important thing to do like now that it's out there, what I'd been through and people telling me that, that it's happened to them too, I was like, no, nah, like something needs to be done about this. We need to talk about this. It's just so, it just so happens that I found it really difficult to talk about. Like, yeah. And then having gone through the pandemic and all of that, like at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I wrote a poem called Child Abuse because all I was thinking about was all the children who were stuck at home Mm. not having school as escapism and being stuck at home with their abuser and it was just going round and round in my head so that time like the first lockdown was really 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 difficult it was really difficult and 
so that poem and my other poem, No Longer Keeping Secrets, I was like, I need to get this out there. I need people to start speaking their truth. I need, it's part of, you know, the the mission to get people to talk about these difficult things. Yeah. So I contacted a publisher and, you know, lucky enough, he said, he said, yes, he would publish my poems, Team Angelica Publishing, and then three months later I had the test copy of my book and yeah then I started some counseling to deal with my you know what I'm talking about but I didn't feel like the counseling helped I didn't feel like the counseling helped because I realized that I had gone all this time having counseled myself Uh, did anything help the poetry poetry is the only thing that has helped me my partner Jermaine she got me into poetry seven years ago and um it's the only thing that's helped it's the only thing that's helped I've had really destructive behaviors before I used to drink a lot smoke a lot but I quit smoking started writing poetry and it's changed my life Oh, well, amazing. so the first the first time you wrote um the poem did you say you hadn't told anybody at all about it um and then you wrote the poem for the um, international women's day yeah so the the first person i told about the abuse was my daughter's dad like 20 years ago mm. um and we had an argument and he he said, you know, he said, oh, no one will ever have you, your damaged goods. Oh, and yeah, and from then, I never told anybody else. Yeah. Wow. I never yeah. told anybody else. So how um, how the abuse happened in the first place. So my my mom got married to this Jamaican man um, and he started abusing me when I was five years old I'm so sorry. Until, until I was 10. And it was my mom that caught him abusing me when I was 10. Right. Yeah, she she had gone out to work or wherever she went, she came back. And I don't know, up to this day, I don't know why she came back. I don't know. Maybe she left something. But I just remember her coming up the stairs and like bursting into the room so yeah so she she must have known but my mom's never really talked about it she she got him arrested and he spent time in prison and she still saw him out of prison and um I've never seen him since Mm. but she still maintained something with him and that's why mine and her relationship has been really really tough I can imagine I can imagine. Because she's never spoken about it. We've never spoken about it. Yeah. And then when I, when I said to um, my daughter's dad um, what happened and then he used it against me, I never spoke about it again until this partner that I've been with now, we've been together nine years, and it was only two years into our relationship that I told her about it. And mm-hmm. she said that... Um, she said that writing would really help. She thinks that journaling would write how, you know, writing down how I feel would really help. So I was abused when I was younger. And what I've always found difficult is 
people always ask about the actual incident, like what happened, what was done, what are the actions. And hearing you say that he said that to you, your your used goods, no one want you. That's the stuff that for me, that's the more damaging stuff. So bruises, um, skin, bones, everything can heal, right? But those words, that shame, that guilt, that has stayed with me forever. Those are the things that I find seep into everything I do, thinking about putting myself up for a promotion, asking for more money, just not having the confidence to do things that I want to do because that's not good enough, not worthy, damaged good stuff runs around my head all the time. So I'm really, really sorry he said that to you and that that made you not want to talk about it because I can imagine um, how big a blow that is. Like that really not, can knock you to your core. And um, if when I've ever talked about abuse, everyone just fi- fixates on... The, the doing of it, if you get what I mean, the like, what actually happened? How long did it go on for? Was there actual penetration? All these sort of things. I'm just like, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't matter. The, the, what it leaves over is so much harder to, to live through that um, that's the, the painful stuff for me. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing your truth as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's really difficult. It is difficult to talk about. I'm at the point now where, you know, everybody knows and I can talk about it, but those, I've been through so much like healing and self-care over the past three, three, four years that I'm in a better place now. Good. Like, so you know all the details of it is in my book you know I wrote about it I've even named my abuser in my book that's brilliant that's brilliant that you can get it all out in a book and it's and it's out there you know that must be liberating well yeah what he said to me in that argument just stayed with me for a really long time I had lots of lots of guilt and yeah I had more guilt because my mum blamed me for ruining her marriage that's that's that was like the difficult parts really for me is how how my mum was able to witness what she witnessed yes and still like not take his side is it she didn't completely lock him off which is which is hard and it's just like hang on a minute like you know she saw what she saw she bursted into the room I was on top of him he threw me off the bed and I hit my head on the wardrobe and mom took me to hospital she called the police he got arrested and you're Um, 10 yeah I was 10 years old and it was never spoken about after that that was just like that it was like yeah just carry on going to school yeah go to school the next day it's really hard to to understand and I'm so sorry you went through this when when my babies were really young I have two children um changing nappies how you have to take off a nappy or take down a child's pants when they have to lift their bum up, yeah. that always, just to just flood in tears, used to always get me. And um, putting on cream, 
putting helping my children put on cream. I used to always get flashbacks there. I was just wondering if there was anything, well, first of all, if there are any triggers for you that, and, and how you parent through it, like any advice for, for mothers who are having to, to try and, yeah, deal, yeah. deal with the journey whilst also being a mother. Well, my daughter's 19, and I remember when she was a baby, I found it really difficult. I found I found pregnancy difficult. Let's go back to pregnancy, right? Yeah. I got married to my daughter's dad when I was 19, and I had my daughter when I was 21. It was a week before my 21st birthday, oh, and pregnancy was a nightmare. I found out that I was pregnant um, when I was seven months pregnant, I wow. thought I had food poisoning. Yeah, I thought I had food poisoning. Went wow. to hospital and they said, you're pregnant. I was like, what? Seven months. Oh, yeah, wow. and I was so angry. I was so angry because I never wanted children. I didn't want children because I didn't want to have to really protect a child. I understand. Like, I always thought that it would, and I definitely didn't want a girl. I didn't want a mm. girl child at the time. And when she was born I knew she was going to be a girl because when I went to the hospital and they said oh it looks like it's a girl um and then when I had Renee it was a terrible terrible oh it was just terrible labor I I was I went to the hospital three times and was turned away um and it turns out that the cord was wrapped around her neck four times and I had to have an emergency cesarean and that was like on the third time when I went there, I, I remember crawling on the floor into mm-hmm. Whips Cross Hospital and swearing. Like, I was swearing so much. I was like, get this effing baby out of me now. Like, I was just so angry. I was just so, so angry because I knew something was wrong because I was in so much pain. I felt like mm-hmm. like something was pressing. Like, it was just horrible. It was just a really horrible, horrible feeling. And luckily, luckily I was persistent and I said to them, you know, that I'm not going home this time because they'd sent yeah. me home before. And they, yeah, the cord was wrapped around her neck four times. She had done a poo inside and everything. She was oh, in distress. Gosh. and Yeah, and I was really protective over her. I wouldn't let him change her nappy or anything yes. like that. Mm. Yeah. Like I was really, really protective. And it was just, it was just hard, like... I'd watch her like a hawk, you know. Yeah, and... yeah. Where, where? So I, I feel this, and I have to watch myself sometimes because I can see some of the things that I'm thinking or doing are irrational. I know that in the real world, but you know, fear creeps in. Um, do you have any advice, or how did you handle that? Like how did how did that fear how did that grip loosen when you were just saying I watched like a hawk I assume that's lessened over the years no not really because it when she was she was born in 2002 and by the time she was it was 2003 so she was one I came out as a lesbian I decided I wanted to be a woman because I felt like if 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 I raised her with a woman I wouldn't have to I wouldn't, I'd break that cycle from thinking that he's going to abuse her. Like, yeah. it was really, it was, oh, it was really difficult. It was it's a really difficult whole, time. Yeah. yeah, it's affected your whole frame of reference. 
Yeah. So, yeah. but even but now I know that women abuse children as well. I didn't at the yeah. time. I was I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I just knew. I went from knowing I didn't want a child, definitely didn't want a girl child, to then finding out I was pregnant and giving birth, and then, like, just in turmoil every time this man would go near her to change her nappy and and he's a brilliant dad like he's a really good dad to her but I just didn't trust him Mm -hmm. not because he did anything wrong or anything like that um just a base level of distrust from what you've been going through yeah it was just uh, I just didn't want to leave her with anyone it was just it was just really difficult and then so no sleepovers, no, she didn't stay outside the house? No, she did She did go to some sleepovers, not until she was like seven or eight or something like that. But even from she could speak, I would, I would say to her things like, you know, did anyone touch you here, here or here? Like I'd ask her every day. Wow. Did, everyone, wow. did anyone touch you here, here or here? Anywhere she went where I wasn't around. And I would point to her chest, her bum, her privates, and I'd say, Renee, did any has anyone touched you here, here or here? Like I was paranoid for a really yeah. long time that somebody yeah. was gonna touch her there, there or there. Um yeah. and she it wasn't until she was eighteen actually. Was she eighteen? Seventeen. No, she was seventeen. We went to Hastings. We went we were sitting on the beach and I said to her I said to her, um, I've got something to tell you. So I told her basically what happened. I told her I was abused as a child. And she's got loads of emotional intelligence, you know. She's she's a good child and she's always been a good child. And she said to me, she said, oh, that's why, that that's why oh. you didn't let me go to sleepovers. And that's why when I was going to go to this particular sleepover, she said that I read in the newspaper that this boy, um, this boy abused, this little boy abused his sister's friend Mm -hmm. and I went ballistic. I I flung, she told me that I flung down the newspaper and I was like, you're not going to that sleepover. You're not going, because I didn't even think about, you know, anytime I think about children being abused, I used to just think of this older man like I would think, do you see? Yeah, I do. I do see. And I'm really glad you said that because I think that's a really important myth that we can squash right now. It's never that. I, I think I think the, 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 the rep of the abuser or the description was a man in a tan uh, trench coat, wasn't it? That's going to flash you and... and do these things and it's always somebody that you know it's somebody who has access somebody you can trust that's that's how it that's how it happens yes there are cases of course of horrible abductions and and cases happening where people don't know each other but the majority of the time it's happening from a cousin a cousin's friend someone that is close that has access that is trusted, that is in the, the home or, you know, at a sleepover at another space. It, it is rarely those types of um, people that I think we were told to look out for. Yeah. So you don't watch those moments when yeah. you're at family homes or and you're it was, at 
only yeah. when it was only when I read in the newspaper about the brother, the the little girl's brother abusing her friend and that, and I was thinking, oh my god, like yeah. how did I not think about oh that? Let me kind of protect her, protect her, protect her, yeah. ask her, and then like by this time she had already gone to a sleepover. Yeah, that must have sent you into a whole another spiral of just fear yeah, and anxiety. That was another thing. So she said to me, oh, that's why you didn't allow me to go to so-and-so's house that day. Mm. Gosh. Yeah, mm. so she actually remembered that. Because yeah. I was, like, frantic over it. Like, I was like, you're definitely not going. And she was so upset because she wanted to go. Mm. Of course. And she doesn't understand. And, of course. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for people to hear that it's 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 close proximity. That's how these situations. Yeah, I thought about adults. I never thought about a young child or a yeah. teenager. And yeah. I, and like I said, I got with a woman thinking she's gonna be safe if I'm with a woman yeah. because I never even it never occurred to me that a woman would until and it wasn't until like she was a teenager that I realised that women abuse children too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you were so, you were, that it was so big, it's so traumatic what's happened to you at that age. It shapes how you see the world, shapes how you walk through life, that it must have been hard to see anything else that could happen. There's so much, I think, in what you've both said. And, you know, thank you so much, both of you, for just sharing. And I think, you know, it just highlights the importance of, you know, of of just being able to, to, to share what you've gone through because, you know, just having the two of you, and I'm sure there's other people that are listening as well that have gone through the same thing and, you know, have the same sort of, of trigger points and questions around, you know, what sort of things that they can do to help, to help or what sorts of things that, that they go through, you know, in, in bringing up their children. Um, there's, yeah, there's quite a lot to unpack. I guess one of the, the things that is, um, that was sort of on my mind was again just going back to you know what was it that prompted you to speak in Mm. in in the work that I do I always I feel like everything has a reason there is a reason for everything there's a plan for everything so even before the pandemic you know for both of you um Andrina you doing this poem knowing that you were going to be talking to all of these women and Nina, you know, on your platform as well and talking about your experience of going through this, like what is it that that has pushed you forward in being able to talk about and talk about it so openly? Because I also think that it's something, and I want to say within the black community that we just don't really talk about. And Andrina, oh, I know no. you said your mum didn't no. your mum didn't reference it again. She didn't talk about it. Um, and even you telling your daughter you know sort of I'm assuming unprompted but you telling her that's helping I think to break something you know it's helping just have that open communication so um yeah I guess my question is just you know what is it that that sort of helped to prompt you to talk about it and how did you how did you feel in doing that well I I think for me I'm really fearful like I'm really fearful and 
when I was talking about like changing the nappy, putting the cream on, thinking about sleepovers, um, I have to watch myself of what is kind of, well, what's safe and then maybe what is potentially causing fear. Like, you know, you want your children to have freedom. You want them to explore. You want them to to live their own life, right? Wholeheartedly. Um, But I realized I was doing things and just very, very fearful. So they've only stayed at grandma and Nana's house. Um, They're still young. So, but like in my head, I was like, well, no, never sleepovers. Because for me, it was um, family, the sons of a family friend. So it was all that access that we've been talking about. So for me, I kept on noticing, um, like you were saying, Andrina, just thinking about abused children or thinking about my children being abused or thinking about me being abused and just just couldn't stop crying. And I just was just doing really, I think, quite anxious things Mm. around the children. Um, which I don't didn't feel healthy and I knew I was doing it. I could see I was doing it but I couldn't stop myself and that's when I started talking about it I was like I just wonder if anybody else is like breaking down in tears when they're changing nappies and you know how many times you've got to change a nappy and I was yeah. finding it really difficult this is mainly with my girl child I have to change a nappy just her little female body and how she moved I was like I, I, literally I cannot see this I can't see it um and I was worried that yeah. I'm going to either, well, I'm going to either make them fearful um, or just the modeling I was doing. I was just mm-hmm. doing erratic things and, and I'm really aware. I see how the kids pick up things and trendlessly they pick up their sponges and I could see them picking things up. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want that. So that's why I started talking. I was like, there has to be. There has to be some other ways to handle this because um, I could basically, I think, just see it coming out. It was seeping out of my pores everywhere and everything I was doing. Like I was saying, physically there with the kids when I was changing, doing those things, but also in life, generally fearful, underconfident, that worthy thing would go round around my head. I'd find myself doing weird things. I wanted to give all my money away to prove that I'm a good person, I'm a healthy person, I'm a clean person, I'm a decent person all that stuff about worthiness and and being validated and being good enough i still every day have to give myself give myself a little pep talk before starting my day because it runs through my head constantly so though that that was my worry that i'd be um i'd be handing that over unknowingly and i was like Mm. i need to put a i need to maybe it's not going to ever stop completely but I need to be aware of it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, so that's that you what... are, and I think even like you said, just you know, starting to talk about it. Other yeah. people 
will be able to to be helped from that as well and did you find it helped you i don't know i i don't know it must it must on some level because mm. the kind of anxiety is lessened mm. but you can't not see it you know you, you can't not see it walking through life yeah, you can't not course. see these situations or see these things or kind of think these things so it it's, it's, it's like a loss. It's something that's yeah. kind of always there with you. So it, for me, anyway, that's how it kind of stays with me. So it, it, it pops up. I, I said to my mom on the 6th of December, 2019, I said, I said to her, I phoned her up and I was like, mom, I'm, I just thought I'd let you know that um, I'm going into 2020 speaking about this this is something I've already handed in my notice at work and this is something I'm going to do and she said no she said don't do it don't do that don't speak about it because it's only going to hurt you just Mm -hmm. leave it in the past where it belongs and just you know just leave it and I sat on what she said for a good couple of weeks in fact in that conversation she also said you know what are you after revenge you know what are you after revenge I said no I said I I I am at that point in my life where I've already I've already spoken about it it's already I've already posted it on Facebook I've already got my poem on the Survivors Trust website like I'm going full hundred now talking about this because it's important and I feel like it's really important and she said she said no don't don't do it you're only gonna hurt yourself Hmm. and I I sat on it for a couple of weeks and I was thinking you know maybe she's right maybe she's right I spoke to my partner about it and my partner was like you know what this is how abuse is allowed to uh to continue isn't it because if people sweep under the carpet and don't talk about it then Mm. Well, that, that's that what allows also, these things to happen it, it allows it to happen but it keeps it alive for you because all respect to your mum but that is what would make me feel dirty yeah. that's what keeps the worthiness and the kind of that it, that it is shameful that's the hardest thing to me like I said the bruises the cuts the this the that can all heal but the shame and the guilt remains and helping to keep or talking about it and especially if it's a thing if it's a taboo in the black community help us mm. black women to keep on talking about it i would hope would help others to come out and start talking about it because, yeah, and since um, i've shared yeah since i've shared my truth lots of people have said you know i too am one in four because in my poem mm. i said one in four women and one in six Gosh. men are affected by this and the more I've spoken about it is the more people have said to me, that's happened to me too. And a lot of the time, um, I've been the first person they've told. Yes. And look at that. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That, yeah. that these are potentially strangers that feel, that feel comfortable to share that with you. Yeah. And they've never said that in their life. And also that moment for that person, so liberating to be able to say that out loud, this is what's happened. Because another thing that I found I did is just to downplay it. Like, it wasn't really that bad. You're okay. You're you're making a big thing of it. Because I think there's also a dangerous, um, another dangerous story of, yeah, they're only boys. Ask a bit of testosterone. 
they're a bit touchy-feely. All those terms, what do you mean touchy-feely? What do you mean a bit handsy? Like, what, what does that mean? That's mm. abuse, that's misconduct, that is, that's, that's a consent issue, isn't it? So all those terms, for me, just downplay it. Yeah. And that also, like, allows it to keep on going because, yeah, because it just, it, it makes it okay, doesn't it? It trivializes it. And that I found really difficult. So someone being able to stand there and say, this happened to me and it was a real thing and it's affected me, I think gives it the weight that it needs to. It, it's as serious as it should be. And I just think That's it's true. amazing that they've, you've, you've, helped that moment that's that's great that's life-changing for people I feel free because in the time that I held it because remember like I'm 40 and Mm. I started speaking about it when I was 38 Mm. you know he was caught sexually abusing me when I was 10 which means that I held that for such a long time did you have any physical ailments did you have any gut issues um migraines any no I wonder where that all went, like just holding all of that, that tiny child. I was really promiscuous as a child. I would have slept with like, by the time I was 15, I probably slept with about 20 20 people. That's where I went then. I was very, I started smoking when I was 13. Mm. I was drinking vodka by the time I was 14. I was very sexually active. I was was a nightmare. I left school with no qualifications. And you weren't a nightmare. It, it, you're, you're, this is how you're dealing with it. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're but putting I, alcohol, you're putting sex, you know, maybe food. That, that's, how, it's, you, it's how you're coping. I blamed myself. Yeah, I blamed yeah. myself for a long, long time. A really long time. And also because my mom said that I ruined her marriage as well, mm. I had that yeah, to carry that as, well. as well. So it was just a lot. It was a lot. And the the school knew, the school knew what I had been through. So when I was I was terrible I was a bully I I was terrible in school and it's almost like they just let me be wild because they knew what I'd been through Mm. I didn't actually get any help or support and I think that's a shame that's one of those that's one of those things that it would be useful to maybe see if I could change if that if I can change that I don't know like I don't know what support young people get nowadays but I was left yeah that's something really good to talk about because I came across you um through your amazing poem being shared on the NSPCC are there any organizations now in later life that you see that are getting it right I I don't know because I'm Mm. my mission is to is to encourage people who do not usually write as a form of therapy to start mm. writing. Mm. Because when I started writing, I wasn't writing about this. I was writing about all sorts of other little meaningless things. And it's mm-hmm. only as I really d- dug deep into it that I started writing more about you know, the deeper stuff. Mm. And so I'm, although I'm a trustee of a charity that deals with violence against women and girls, I'm not a I'm not a professional in this field so I don't actually know I don't know what services are doing I don't mm. really know I do know that when I I did a podcast about a year ago and I um not a podcast it was a training day thing because I thought I would maybe find out about 
find out about the different types of abuse and stuff. And I did a training and what was alarming that I found out was that young black girls are overlooked Mm -hmm. because they're overdeveloped or they can sometimes be a bit more mature or come across more womanly. Then they're overlooked. Like they, they could be missed. They're not like social services and authorities and people who are in charge of this stuff, like they they, they think that because young black girls are over-sexualized, mm. that that's the way we are, do you see? So mm-hmm. if anything, if they, were, yeah. if they were being like promiscuous or dancing in a pr- provocative kind of way, like nobody would question, you know, where is that coming from? Like, why is this child behaving like this or dancing like this or doing this or whatever? They just think, oh, it's black culture. So they're just so that kind of worried me because I thought, well, actually, there's going to be a a whole community of young women who are being overlooked and missed, who may be abused and nobody's picking it up. So Mm. I thought that was quite alarming. Mm. Is there anything in school that would have helped you like now for any mums? that are trying to parent through this from whatever angle as an abused mother or a child that's been abused? Anything that that a teacher could have said to you that you think could have helped or done or shown or supported you in any way? Yeah, just have a conversation with me. Mm. Like I was in detention. No one really addressed it, did I they? was in detention more times than I could than I was than I could even think. Like I was in detention all the time. I was always like I was always I was uh expelled, suspended. Like I was always just like suspended, like, you know, stay at home for a few days until you can calm down or whatever. Like nobody actually sat me down and said, What is going on with you? Like yeah. Such a what do you know what I mean? Like just yeah. the conversation. I think hopefully things would have moved on by by now. Because like yeah. I said, I'm forty, so you'd think that things would have moved on a lot now. I think they have. I mean, I got a call the other day from the Senko lead at our school saying that um, my child and another child had kicked each other in the willies. And that's the language that they used. And no, no, sorry. They said private parts, but the kids were saying willies. And um, they got brought into the office and taught and were told, you do not touch each other's private parts. Mm. And everybody's private parts are to, you know, they had that whole age appropriate talk. So I would like to think it's changed now in, in terms of safeguarding, but I still don't know what's out there. Like you said, you just needed someone just to sit down and talk. You need you needed a talk. You needed yeah, a, I didn't a hug have and any, a talk. Yeah, I didn't have any talking therapies or anything like that. It was just like, oh, there she goes again. She's she's because she was abused as a child because the school knew. So mm-hmm. I think even the fact that the school knew. But know, I think that the fact that the school knew, I think that's what that's what made me just get away it. with it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It was almost yeah. like well, she has got a reason to to be a bit wild. Like it's because of that. But nobody actually said like, "How can we help you?" Or well, sorry, this happened to you. I'm sorry that you you've gone through this experience. And my mom was a single parent, so she was always working. <laughs> she was always working, so she wasn't really she wasn't really there 
and like I said, like we don't talk in our family, so there was no talking. She dealt with her stress by um, she dealt with her stress by smoking. That's where mm-hmm. I picked up smoking from. I used mm. to take her cigarettes and smoke them. Um, well, but, I think it's yeah. even more courageous than that. You you are the change in yeah. your family. You are talking. You are making the difference your daughter will see you talking and will know the all the you know all you can get from talking and sharing and getting it out into the world and you know out of your head out of your body definitely um, so amazing it's courageous i've yeah. broken that cycle now, you if you ask my mom she'll probably not tell you anything apart from she's got her bible you know she reads mm. her bible her bible is what helps her but yeah. I, I she hides behind that bible it's probably she needs to so talk painful about stuff. for your mom yeah, it, yeah. It, and i recognize that she's not at the place to yes to talk about it she's not yeah. and I, yeah. I actually i haven't spoken to her since because when we did get off the phone on the 6th of december she said you know what you've said a lot i need some time to think about what you've said and I'll call you back. And I was waiting for her to call me back and she never did. And we entered a pandemic three months later and she still didn't call me back. And then when my book was um, published, and my book was published in October, but I got the test copy of my book in July, I posted it to her home address and uh, she sent me an email saying, hip, hip, hooray, congratulations, I received your book. Um, as for me, you make me feel like shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I'm... that's, I've, but for my own sanity and my own self care, I, I don't have a relationship with her anymore. I don't want a relationship with her mm-hmm. anymore. And the difficulties that we've had over the years, when I look back at it, it was always me trying mm-hmm. really hard with her. It was always mm. me calling. It was always me seeing if she's okay. And from the time she told me that I ruined her marriage, like, that should have been it. Like, I shouldn't have kept trying with her. But it's but your I mom. Did. It's what you End do, yeah. Yeah, I always, mom. yeah, I always was, like, pining after her, although we had a Aww. difficult relationship. But now, you know, the line's drawn now. I'm like, I'd rather her not be in my life and now that it's it's out there in public and I've made an effort like to have my book in various London libraries um for a poetry book I've sold more poetry books it's been shortlisted for a Polari first book book prize it didn't win but it's it's you know it's in some branches of Waterstones and stuff like so it's out there Mm. and the more that it's out there like what can she say? What can she do? Because she has to live with her own guilt. And I recognise as well that when she wanted me to keep quiet, she probably just wanted to safeguard herself. I think absolutely. Of course. So many levels of pain going on for her and trauma and probably shame and probably guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That she's not been able to deal with. But you've broken, you know, whatever... um, sort of pattern might have been created by not talking um and just being able to talk about it and putting it out there I just think it's just 
it's so brave um, and it's so important. And, you know, I'm sure you both of you are just blessings to so many people, um, you know, and having so many people just some, come and be able to tell you that they've they've gone through that same thing. Um, yeah, I just think, I, I think it's, it's so brave. So thank you both. Oh, thank you. It's really challenging. It is. It is challenging. Uh-huh. But it's worth it. Like, yeah. I would rather speak my truth and be on an island by myself than to go back to keeping quiet and self-destroying myself. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm in a much better place. I do positive affirmations every day. I tell myself how brave and courageous I am. I tell myself how mm-hmm. lovely, how beautiful like you know I've I'm, how worthy you are yeah I'm fortunate to be in a relationship filled with love like my daughter has grown up to be lovely and I haven't gone on to abuse anybody so it's mm-hmm. just like yeah that cycle has been broken and I feel mm-hmm. like if I keep going and pushing people to speak their truth then the world will be a better place because Absolutely. then abusers won't be They'll be shook in it. They would actually, they would actually, yeah, Yeah, they would actually be fearful to abuse people because, like, us talking our truth, it's going to inspire other people to speak their truth and also be on high alert as well. I agree. I totally agree. All all that kind of the the handsy and the testosterone and playing it down that those that allows it to all continue people not speaking allows it continue parents not um talking to their children mm-hmm. allows it to also happen just just to be on alert and this is the battle that i have of like in a self it, being in a self a safe realm of alert but not you know being able to live your life and have a good time and not be panicked or fearful but still just be aware just like you would with with anything I think it's just to be aware and I think a lot of people well I I hope parents can just like you were sharing their statistics and um, it most commonly happening from people that we know or have access just just to be aware I think would would be definitely what I'm trying to do and and the sort those the sort of conversations that I keep keep having and I think it's important just to it's really it is complex though it is Mm. it is complex like what I'm learning is that it's complex because you know if parents especially like if you look at black parents and like the economy and Mm -hmm. like society and the the wheel of power and privilege and like us in marginalized groups we're probably likely to leave our children with people so that we can go to work and stuff like that it's complex it is complex But I think if we if we do open up these conversations and people will think first before they leave their children with certain people or mm-hmm. they'll look out for the signs. Yes, yes. And just talk to their children so the children can be aware. Yeah. To know that, especially girl children. I remember feeling like prey. I remember being a young girl, like wanting to walk down, not, walk, not walking down the main roads because I was just like just so aware that I felt like prey. So I used to walk down the back streets. I think just having those conversations, and I haven't got the answer because I don't know how to have this conversation. 
and what ages you start having these sort of conversations. But I think to just keep talking around these subjects. Also to um, not overlook the boys as well, because boys are at risk. Of course. Yes, of course. Of course. Of course. Don't think because they're boys that they're not getting abused. Because one in six boys, that's a lot of boys. Yeah, I hear you. That's what I mean. That's why I think just talk to all children, just, you know, just to be aware. And we know that our private parts are private parts. And just to be aware of our bodies really and and I suppose consent what it means and what it is and the importance of it yeah yeah um just one thing I was going to to say and I can try and find the link for this there is there's a video on I think it's on BBC Bite Size that does talk to um how you talk to children about you know, not keeping secrets and your private parts being, you know, your private parts and nobody should ever touch them. Um, I think I've seen it. Has it got lots of pants in it? It's got... Yes. Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So there is that. And I know um, in... So my, my daughter is seven and I'm trying to remember if it was this year or last year, the pandemic sort of got everything mixed up. So it's either in um, year one or year two, I think they do have a, a lesson down that, or a session where they do talk about, you know, again, you know, that, you know, yeah. nobody should ever touch your private parts. And I remember my daughter coming home and, you know, she, she was sort of reiterate and we'd had the conversation before that um just because of some other things but we we'd had a conversation before that anyway but she came home and just said this is what we learned um at school so it's good that they're talking about it but i think it's also talk about it at home as well that, hmm. you know we talk about it yeah we talk about it at home as well and we just we i don't want to say normalize the conversation but you want to normalize the fact that your children know that they can tell you anything your children know that you know they're able to come to you because um like i said especially within black families sometimes we just don't talk about the important stuff we don't talk about feelings we don't talk about you know things maybe you might you you might be afraid of and and i mean earlier you were saying about Mm. sort of feeling that shame and feeling like it was your fault and it might be that you know there there are people maybe that even have gone through this and and they feel like it's Mm -hmm. their fault and it's absolutely not you know it's not it's not anything to do with you it's not your fault at all but they just don't know how to navigate that and you know that's that's what they're they're going through so having that sort of open channel that you know you can talk to me as your parent about anything you know there are no secrets um i think is is sort of the the kind of narrative that we need to have and these conversations yeah. are really, are really going to help yeah them. definitely thank you so much for sharing everyone really really good yeah. andrina any any last takeaways you want to share to anyone listening who might be struggling with how to share their truth yeah i would i would encourage i would encourage anyone just to just to start writing just write down how you feel and you don't have to share it with anyone 
you know it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a professional writer to write you can writing is something that's accessible to all of us and sometimes when we find things difficult to say out loud um, it might be a little bit easier just to just write it down um, yeah that's that's it really yeah well thank you thank you so much for sharing thank you for for posting your amazing poetry and everything that you're doing um, I know it's not easy so thank you for sharing and, and continuing to doing that I think it's really brave I think it's courageous and um, I'm just grateful because I know what it can do I know that it can help people and I know um, how you know you, hearing your poetry might be the one moment for somebody that helps them to share thank you so, yeah, yeah thank you for creating these yeah. spaces to be able to have these difficult conversations yeah. they're difficult but they're important I forgot to mention that the book is called Chard C-H-A-R-R-E-D um, it's called Chard a survivor speaks her truth to inspire and it's available everywhere dope black moms if you'd like to join the Dope Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.